Hey everybody, welcome to Verses from the Void, your twice-monthly foray into the world of horror poetry. On today's show, we have Jessica Drake-Thomas. Jessica Drake-Thomas is the author of two gothic horror poetry collections, Burials and Bad Omens. She's a poetry editor at Coffin Bell Journal and an active member of the Horror Writers Association. She's a practicing witch living in Milwaukee. In Mi'kmaq, we like to say Jalasi, which means welcome, come in and sit down. So, Jalasi Jessica and Jalasi listeners, how are you today? Thank you. Um, I'm doing well. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming on. I really, I loved your po- horror poetry collection, Burials. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited for the new collection. Uh, when is it coming out again? Um, it comes out on February 17th. Um, it's currently available for pre-order. Um, nice. Online, so, yeah. So, would you mind talking a bit about the new collection and, and that's what you're reading from today, right? Correct. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, uh, the new collection and maybe what changed in your writing process between Burials and Bad Omens, the new collection? Yeah, um, so Burials was a lot about he- like the healing process and using witchcraft to heal myself um, after something happened. And Bad Omens I wrote during the 2020 pandemic um, when everybody was kind of staying in. Um, and... I was I, I wrote the whole book in bed so it was actually like a very comfortable process for me um whereas burials I wrote I would wake up at like four in the morning to write for three hours before I had to go in um to teach for the day um bad omens I was working from home I was working for bed um binge eating gummy worms and um watching Penny Dreadful. And I felt like that really bled into this collection. Um, There's a lot of occult themes. There's a lot of like Victorian Gothic elements to this book. Um, There's a lot about um, considering women's rights, um, particularly like about like bodily autonomy that I was starting to think about back then because it was the end of the Trump presidency. And I felt like there was a lot of trauma from that um for me at least um and I felt like that really was a major factor in this collection um it's a lot about like feminist thought I was taking a course for my PhD program on gender and anger and how women portray anger and um I felt like that was a really big part of that of bad omens in particular oh that's so fascinating because I was wondering about that when I was reading the poems that you sent me because I was like there's definitely like these kind of like spiritualist and even the title bad omens Mm -hmm. right like it it kind of harkens back to that (laughs) Victorian kind of gothic sensibility and like um just because of the timing of the collection too I was like I wonder if the pandemic had any kind of like influence on that so that's really interesting that you bring that up because it's just like definitely did um especially like I was looking a lot at like mythology and dark goddesses um while I was writing this collection because it just was a time when you needed to like so well I shouldn't say you I needed to surround myself with like strong female figures and like these dark goddesses like Hecate and the Morrigan um the Norse goddess Hell um I was really like looking to them and their stories um, to like kind of keep myself together during that time. So, mm-hmm. and it's kind of mm-hmm. like 
it's interesting because when you're surrounded with that kind of mass death and sickness, um, yes. I found myself kind of just thinking back to other periods of time, like early into the pandemic, mm-hmm. I read uh, the Journal of the Plague Year um, okay. yeah. based on the 1666 plague. And it was just like, what's it been like in history when this has happened? And right. I, I could definitely see like how um, those influences would come to play. <laughs> just Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like how, how did people before there was like, like modern medicine go like deal with this? Um, I think for me, it was like going back to like a, a time longer ago um, to really like piece myself together. Yeah, and definitely. (laughs) Yeah, and with Dark Goddesses, too, I think that, like, that kind of, like, social influence definitely, yeah, it, 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 it's something so very beyond you that you have to kind of, like, look to the spiritual, I mean, you don't have to, but (laughs) lots of people do, (laughs) but going through is something like that, because it's something that's beyond you and beyond your control, so it's, like, how do you find empowerment in that? Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the main messages with this book is like finding empowerment and finding your voice and speaking your truth. Absolutely. Um, I got that sense from what you sent and I definitely like, I was seeing the witchy themes coming through and you've mentioned mm-hmm. being a practicing witch. Um, how does your witchcraft practice influence your poetry and your writing process? I feel like it really helps me connect with that like it helps me connect with myself. Um, both witchcraft and poetry are ways that I connect with myself on a deeper level. And both practices kind of bleed into one another. Um, they kind of support each other in a way. Um, Cause I had just started practicing when I was writing burials and that was when it, like my poetry really started to come together. Um, and I started focusing on writing things that like I liked rather than stuff that I thought other people would like. Um, and I think I wanted to take that a step further in Bad Omens and really like explore the witchcraft side of myself um, and just how figure out how I connected with that on a deeper level. Um, and I think it 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 did help me get through like the trauma of the of that year because um, I had a lot of other things going on too that were not I guess really stressful. Um, so it just helped me kind of stay together at that point. Um, I use both to do that. So that makes a lot of sense to me because I think that especially with like witchcraft practices people tend to come to them out of a need of finding their own inner innate power and like their own connection to that kind of innate ability I guess rather than Mm -hmm. other traditions where maybe you find comfort and surrender and having it be out of your control yeah Yeah, (laughs) it's it's almost like an embracing of your own your own inner power and control and like relying on yourself and not like some outside force and I think that's why I like it so much is that it's completely on me um and not anybody else so that's really interesting and does the ritualistic aspect have any kind of mirror like do you have um 
any witchcraft rituals that kind of come Uh, into your writing process? Yeah, um, I use the tarot a lot, actually. Um, When I'm writing, I read this book by Jessica Crispin a few years ago called The Creative Tarot. And she like outlines this like creative process where you can use the tarot to create works of art. Um, So I've been using tarot to write poetry for a while. Um, And especially for bad omens, I actually wrote, I would pull a card and whatever card came out, I would write a poem based off that card. Um, so I have a few poems in the book that I really, I really like how they came out because they were written in a kind of ritualistic, okay, every day I'm just going to pull a card and see what comes out of it. And, um, that definitely helped. It also kind of helps me, it puts me in the headspace that I want to be in when I'm writing a poem because you kind of want to like, let go of those like really strong ties to the world and like let your language kind of like flow into um a different space i like i like writing in the liminal spaces especially um for my pieces so it just like even lighting a candle and like sprinkling some salt or you know boiling some herbs and just like putting yourself in that other space to just sit down and write for a while is really i find it's helpful That's really interesting. Yeah, I I definitely like in my own witchcraft practice, like it's pretty lazy. (laughs) I used to try to do really like high ritual and then I'm like, no, (laughs) that's not the life I'm about. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just kind of setting the scene, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think I I definitely have some tarot related questions for you once we actually get into the analysis of the poems. I hope that's okay. (laughs) No, that's fabulous. I love talking tarot. Awesome. Me too. Yeah. I love, I love reading tarot and just like the way the, the archetypes shine through. And like, Mm -hmm. I thought you did some really interesting stuff with them in these poems. So yay. Um, Do you want to start with the loved ones? Sure. Let me just pull that up. Okay. This is called the loved ones. The family stands together around their lost one, swathed in black crepe, morning garb, faces static. She lies there, decaying in front of them, heaped in flowers, a white casket. Her cheeks bruised like bad fruit. She looks so peaceful, like a stolen bride in a story, a changeling taken by the Fae Queen for her own. In their dreams, she contacts her family, lets them know she's well beneath the hill. They watch as she walks away into the afterglow. Who is sleeping, the loved ones wonder, who is awake? Thank you so much. I love the dualities that exist in this poem, the black crepe against the white casket and like this idea of above and below dreaming and waking and like how you blur the lines between them. Um, Mm -hmm. Would you mind speaking to that choice? Um, And this goes back to what I was saying about liminal spaces. I really feel like there's a liminal space in this piece um, between the living and the dead that I was kind of playing with. Um, I was at the time perusing this archive of um victorian morning photography um which is where they would take pictures of their dead and then keep them to like remember them as they were um and some of it gets very macabre but 
I was just thinking a lot about those photographs and like how you've got all these living people in these photos with their deceased relatives. And I felt like it was almost like this liminal space where they're still trying to like commune with their person who has gone on. Um, and I don't, I, I find morning photography so fascinating. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's what I was thinking a lot about when I was writing this piece. That's really interesting. Yeah. I think that like in some cases, especially with like people that weren't super rich back then, like mm -hmm. those morning photography sessions would be the only chance they would have to photograph their loved one. Like, right. so it's just like that creation of memory, I guess. Um, yeah. Like just something to keep, just to keep them close. Um, which I, I find this sentiment very beautiful. Um, so, yeah. There's also like, um, in your poem, there's like a folkloric component that comes through with the yes. changeling, stolen bride. Um, and what I found interesting was actually like the little bit of restraint you use with it too, because she's compared to them, but not exactly that. Um, would, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, because I was just thinking, um, I, I guess I was kind of like trying to intimate that she was taken by them in a way um, to kind of, this was one of the earlier poems in the book, actually. And it's when I was just starting to go into the mythology poems and I didn't want to go too far with that here um, because it was pretty early on in the book and I didn't want to I wanted to keep that restraint I wanted to keep that barrier there that she was still kind of human um and I was like thinking a lot about like the journey that we take into death and how that could be mythologized there but I didn't want to go too far with that mm -hmm. so it's like um it's it's yeah it's interesting it almost reads like as an elegy but a bit from a remove and afar like we're witnessing that experience of grief and that experience of it it seems like sudden loss and that kind of like quiet violence that exists in that yeah and that's something i got a lot from all of the victorian morning photographs that i was looking at um at the time because there's it's called the Thanatos um, archive. And they just have this whole archive of morning photography. Um, and a lot of it is children. And I think I was kind of thinking about that here um, a lot. And it's just, you're, I felt so removed from the situation because I was just looking at the photographs. Um, so, yeah yeah I can see yeah that. mm -hmm. that's really interesting because that's like such an intimate experience but also just like you know you're in a whole other century yeah. looking at these photographs yeah. like people who were long gone who, yeah the people who needed these photographs are gone um so it's yeah it's it's kind of sad um but also I don't know it's my morbid curiosity I guess 
yeah, I think there's a beauty in that, like a strange immortality. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's kind of anonymized and yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting that like probably these people never would have guessed that somebody in the 21st century would be writing poems about. Probably not. Probably didn't even like consider that these photographs would still be around. I, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like someone <laughs> coming across one of our family photographs, just like being yeah. inspired to write about it. I'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful yeah. in that way, too. It's just, you know, um, that universalizes the experience of mourning, too, even though the rituals are different across time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially that was such a big thing for the Victorians, like the whole mourning process and all that they would go through like it was a six month continuous period that they would be in full mourning for and then the following six months they'd be in half mourning um they their funeral rituals were really really interesting to me um so I feel like they were so much better at it than we are. <laughs> oh my gosh, as yes. A culture. <laughs> they allowed themselves like time to grieve. And that's something that's really a problem with our culture is we don't really allow people the time and space to like grieve a loss. Um, because that's something that takes a while to heal from, and then we're expected back at work like the next week. Um mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And yeah, we don't have a lot that makes it public, like with the morning dresses and no. stuff like that. We're supposed to like go to the funeral and then that's it, it's over. Um, you're supposed to move on and pull yourself together. And I don't know, I don't think that's very healthy. No, that's that's really interesting to think about. That's a lot to get from a fairly short poem too so <laughs> I, I read a lot about it um too while I was writing the book I was reading Caitlin Doherty's uh Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematorium which talks a lot about like the mourning process in America and like what she sees that are issues with it and I found that really meaningful and important it's also really funny, like morbidly funny. Oh, that's I've always wanted to read that. So oh, thank you. So good. <laughs> me, yeah. It's so good. It's one of my favorite books. Nice. Yeah, I've heard lots of good things about it. Mm -hmm. Um, do you want to move on to the Empress Reversed? Sure. Oh no, sorry, the wolves is next. Oh. <laughs> I scrolled down right. too far in my questions. <laughs> this is called The Wolves. When my heart beat against bone, I dreamed of hiding among silent pines. I was always hungry when I belonged to him. His blood-spackled grin, feral eyes fixing me in place. Until the night filled with snap of bone and sinew, clack of teeth. He curled up and slept, a satiated Saturn saving me for seconds. I left, locking the door behind me. Branches grabbed my hair as I ran through the snow toward amber lights, feet blue as a dead bride. When they cut away the frostbite to keep me alive, there was so much blood. Unlike the moon, I will never be whole, but that's okay. Sometimes I wake in the middle of the night to the sound of wolves howling inside me. 
The shadows shift in the corners of the room, moving with predatory grace, eyes of pale fire. Amazing. Thank you so much. Huh? I love the illusions in this piece. Like, pale fire immediately brings to mind Nabokov. Um, uh -huh. The use of wolf automatically calls to mind everything from, like, Dracula, Little Red Riding Hood, um, the myth of Saturn devouring his children. Would you mind speaking to those choices and the inspiration behind the poem in general? Um, I was thinking a lot about mythology and folklore. Um, it's funny that you mentioned Dracula because I was reading that in the fall of 2020. Um, and I was just thinking a lot about like predators and how people survived those situations. Um, back hundreds of years before then and like how they would mythologize it and how they would put how how somebody back then would have framed an experience like this um and I think that's where that came that really came in in that piece yeah because you think about like um these kind of like mythic authority figures. So you think of someone like Dracula, you think of Saturn, like these are, yeah. <laughs> these are um, hyper-masculine figures of like intense authority and um, yeah. And I guess like devouring <laughs> the victim. So that's really, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. And just like how those figures are not, positive authority figures um but they're very present in like literature and kind of like our canon um of books that everybody reads um and they're kind of like in my education was very eurocentric and i don't appreciate that so i'm always like looking for ways to take that and like frame it in a way to like point out that they're not figures that should be like really celebrated but looked at as you know as the predators that they are mm -hmm. yeah and that definitely reinforces what you were talking about with um this healing and reckoning with the trump years and just like yeah how things have progressed even since then like it, it hits extra hard with the overturning of roe v wade and yes uh, just even in canada like i'm fearful of the knock-on effects of those kinds of social experiences and of course i'm worried about you know my friends and loved ones mm -hmm. and strangers in america and how that's gonna play out for them yeah as as an american myself i'm very concerned about all of this um i'm currently working on a poetry collection that focuses on that in particular um because i i don't like that i don't like that that's going on here um so yeah that's it's been present on my mind probably since 2016 like i kind of knew that things were going to go this way and unfortunately had to watch them go this way yeah 
I know that there was a lot of initial like, oh, people are being alarmist about this. And it's like, absolutely not. He has telegraphed nope. what he's going to do, you know, and it's he's, happened. <laughs> yeah, he's always been very clear on who he is and how hateful he is and what he's going to do. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I guess the seed of hope that exists in that is the kind of resistance that builds up in the community building um, yeah. that exists in response to it that shouldn't have to exist, but does nonetheless. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to me, this use of the term predatory grace um, and just thinking about like the natural world and how that's playing into the poem itself. Would you mind speaking to that a little bit? Um, that's playing into, um, actually stuff that Edgar Allan Poe would do where he would write stories about, um, how people became like animals. Um, I was teaching Poe a few years ago and we were like talking about, we did a whole Poe unit and we focused on his stories where people he really I, I'm trying to remember which one he described like somebody as a viper or um it's whenever they start to like become violent in a way where they lose their humanity and that's what I was thinking about when I wrote that line is the predatory grace and how like people when they lose their humanity um become animals themselves oh that's interesting yeah it's always i guess there's that tension too that's really interesting to me between like the idea of nature as natural order and what people perceive to be mm -hmm. natural order things yeah. like having those patriarchal figures um in positions of power yeah is seen yeah. as natural order to others <laughs> and it is not <laughs> it's not i especially love the references to like alpha wolves when that's not actually a thing in the wild that only happens <laughs> in domesticated wolves or wolves in a zoo um then the males become aggressive when in the wild it's the females who actually are running things yeah nobody is uh rushing to emulate that or at least those, those guys aren't <laughs> no so. i guess that's actually a good segue into the empress reversed because i'm like so okay. curious about this poem okay <laughs> all right this is called the empress reversed there's a brisk trade for photographs of dead women you know men like their women silent passive weak soft as a kitten they cannot stand a mad woman who speaks in tongues knows secrets a woman is only as good as those she trusts her blue lips gape spiders come crawling out of her mouth her eyes go black she lifts up off her feet head thrown back there's a demon beneath her skin scratching to get loose like this pattern she's dragging her nails down yellow wallpaper purple orchids death cat mushrooms, a woman slipping out of her body, her prison. Thank you. The title of this poem intrigued me immediately. 
as a tarot reader. <laughs> now we're getting into our tarot questions. Yes. Um, <laughs> for any listeners who might not be familiar, the Empress is a major arcana tarot card that tends to represent divine feminine, feminine empowerment, and general harmony between nature and power. Um, reversals in tarot can signal an inversion of those themes or an emphasis on them. Um, and I definitely got a sense of the former, like the inversion um, from this poem. Could you elaborate on the choice of the Empress and the Empress reversal? Absolutely. Um, I've always felt like the Empress is like this figure who's like just very comfortable within herself, um, who's at ease. Um, and this poem was also really inspired by one of the later episodes of Penny Dreadful where Vanessa Ives is uh, possessed by a demon. And I used some imagery and actually the first line of that poem is from Penny Dreadful. Um, I felt like I really connected with Vanessa Ives as a character. Um, and when I drew the Empress card to work on this poem that day, that's what came out. Um, I work a lot on mental illness themed poems. Um, and this is one of them. And it's kind of discussing the opposite of what the empress kind of portrays where a woman who's not comfortable within her own body who is struggling and struggling with the constraints that society puts on her and what she should quote unquote be like um that's what I really got from Vanessa Ives. Um, she's trying to be one person and keeps finding out that she's someone else, someone that she didn't know about. And she's kind of like on this self-discovery journey um, throughout this series. It's really interesting because there's that other um, allusion here, too, with the yellow wallpaper, of course. Um, yes. Is that something that comes up with that character, or is that just a resonance that you felt between that story and that character? That was a resonance I felt between that character. The story and the Penny Dreadful are kind of, they're almost um, within the same time period. So I kind of connected those um, together. Uh Trying to remember the last line. Sorry. Um, with the yellow wallpaper, that character, she's on forced bed rest because she's got postpartum depression. Um, so I think the mental illness link was there for me when I was writing this piece. Um, and for anyone who's not familiar with the story, the character starts seeing this woman's face behind the like heavily, like the heavy patterns in her yellow wallpaper. And slowly and slowly, this like creepy woman starts coming out of the wallpaper. Um, and I just, from reading that piece, there's like a lot of restriction 
um, that comes from like the time period and what was expected of that character and what they were making her do and how she kind of almost frees herself by taking the woman out of the yellow wallpaper because it turns out to be her um, who is coming out of the patterns in the wallpaper. Yeah, I, I love that story. And it's it's such an enduring classic for a reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought that you brought it into this poem in a really interesting way. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no problem. And like, it's interesting, too, because like, it, it's bringing back like, photographs of dead women and just like these ideas of how restrained womanhood is um forced on people and like this is a connection between the victorian era and today of course and Mm -hmm. um that idea of the mad woman speaking in tongues brings like an almost prophetic aspect to it but then there's like this shift in the poem where it's like she has the secret knowledge but also it's the fact that there's a demon (laughs) yeah um yeah yeah, do you want to speak to that um yeah it's almost I think that's connecting with um historically speaking mental illness they would they would think that they were possessed by demons um and in late 1800s early 1900s that was starting to shift um but in penny dreadful it really is a demon um so i was kind of playing with that idea of is it mental illness or is it a demon um because that is it makes me sad that people thought that at one time and a lot of because of it um and I feel like in this day and age where there's so much misinformation, like I could kind of feel something like that coming back and I wouldn't like that to happen. Yeah, it's a it's a terrifying idea, especially like even in this kind of like self-imposed way. But there's also, yeah, mm-hmm. like a general social trend of Puritanism coming through with people yeah. and like rejection of <laughs> received yeah. knowledge and received wisdom yeah. and like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, scary. Yeah, it is, and I feel like the stigma around mental illness is still really bad. Um, because I suffer from a mental illness myself. Um, and I'm living pretty productively. Um, I'm living a productive, comfortable life with my medication. So, um, I just like to make sure that I'm spreading the word that you know it's not something that's like a horror novel um and you don't have to live in an asylum like you can go out there and be a productive person and do the things that you want to do um you know if you take care of yourself you know absolutely and like it's interesting because I I also like I I have mental illness and a a few different ones, a few comorbidities. And, you know, I resisted medication for a really long time. And I don't really know why, because once I started it, there was such a shift. And it was like, I didn't have to try to manage it through all these other methods that are helpful enhancements to the medication. But it's like, 
that would have been kind of me to do for myself beforehand. But I think that that's also like even self-stigmatization, right? Like mm-hmm. I knew it worked yeah, for like, other people, but I was scared of the process of finding what would work. Yeah. And it's a long process. Like it's a lot. Um, it's not easy and it's scary, but, and especially like when somebody tells you, you know, I think you have something that's a scary moment. And I think it's important to like, let people know that you don't have to live like that. There are ways to like help you feel better. Um, so it doesn't have to be bootstraps theory or rest cures <laughs> no like wallpaper <laughs> no modern and, medicine uh, and therapy is so good now so yeah. yeah I really appreciate the ambiguity of how power works in that poem um and I think that comes through with that like that presence of the demon and just like the woman speaking and the mouth imagery and everything that comes through in that yeah thank you and just like that her power is both like within the body and then at the end there's like the idea of being out of the body is empowerment as well. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's a lot of restriction towards female body. There there always has been. Um and I kind of was feeling that a lot at the time because like with the pandemic and not being able to go out, I felt very restricted myself. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that's what came through in this piece. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like, I think <laughs> I taught the yellow wallpaper during my master's program at a guest lecture <laughs> <laughs> during the pandemic. And I was just like, so I suppose we all relate a little bit to this. <laughs> yes, right absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I feel like mentally ill women you know, like myself, especially like, will already relate to her, but there's like the experience of forced isolation like that brings a universality that maybe, you know, uh, other folks haven't experienced before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I feel like I need to move a lot. And when I'm not able to move a lot, like I go for three to four walks a day with my dog and I go to the gym. I like, I need to be moving in order to like live my best life. Um, and then I was having a lot of trouble with that because there was nowhere I could go. Everything was closed. I was just laying in bed all day. I was working from home and my dog died. <laughs> I was like, oh, sorry. Oh, I was so, I felt so restricted. And I think turning to that story in particular was like, Oh, here's somebody who's having my problems, kind of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's fascinating. Um, do you want to move on to... Absolutely. Well, I know that you said that there was two. So did you want to read all five? I don't have questions for the last one because I thought it was all one oh, yeah, no, we could just do one more. Um, okay. We could just do death and then we'll skip the last one. Okay, so this one is called Death. Your eyes will open like roses, blooming to reveal that you are not alone. You see, I come after. I'm the real patron of lost causes. I'll lift you out of the hole the priests put you in. There are no tears, no ashes here. Take this silver necklace, wrap it around your neck. 
Come ride this pale horse to the ending of this world, the veil between my black tattered cloak around your shoulders. Thank you so much. So this was another poem that struck me because um, you're using kind of um, general death symbolism, but I also know that this is a tarot card. <laughs> so I was like, ooh, tarot symbolism. <laughs> and um, I love I love this card too, because everybody, whenever you draw it, like everybody thinks it's a bad card. But like, for me, this card represents rebirth. I think it's a really positive card. It's a card about change. And like, that's something that you're about to have a major life change. And I think it's very positive um, from my perspective. Yeah, I um, every time I read for someone who is new to getting tarot readings, I'm just mm -hmm. like, please don't draw death, please. Because <laughs> they're going to have to explain what it means. <laughs> yeah. They're going to get freaked out. Yeah, they I know always it. <laughs> do. They always do. <laughs> no, relax. This is good. Yeah. Um, so what inspired you to, I know that, did you draw it through one of your Tarot of the Day? I did. I drew it um, while I was doing my Tarot card series. Um, and this is what came out of it. And I'm really happy with it. Um. Of all of them, I think this is the one that I liked the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really, I think, conveys um, both the meaning of the card, that kind of like transformation, like this changing of the world that you get at the end. Um, and also like the imagery on the card with the roses. Um, I highly encourage listeners to look up what the death card looks like, because I think that you make it your own, but also like portray it here in a really interesting way thank you um yeah just I felt too this is one of the ones where I was talking from this from the perspective of the card which is a skeleton in a black cloak riding on a white horse and there is something empowering about speaking from the perspective of that card um because a lot of the book talks about the journey between life and death, um, because that was something I was thinking a lot about that year. Um, and with this card, um, I really feel like this represents a forward moving journey. So I kept the death symbolism because I felt like that gives that card like it's particular like allure like it feels like it should be dangerous it feels like it should be macabre and morbid but like ultimately like it has a good connotation it's about moving forward it's about moving on to something new um and that's what I wanted to come out of that piece yeah absolutely I always see it as like and I guess this is just like a general kind of like death sentiment but like it's the great equalizer because it comes for mm -hmm. everybody. Um, and I thought that that was really interesting. Like you get that in the second stanzas, like I'll lift you out of the hole the priest put you in. There are no tears, no ashes here. You get a sense again of that, like natural order that is actually natural. And this isn't a patriarchal figure. This is just yeah. this force. This is, you know, this is death on the horse and it's taking yeah. you along. 
So there's like yeah. that psychopomp thing <laughs> going on. Yeah, the Anku. Um, I always find those traditions to be very comforting. But I love the uh, I'm the real patron of lost causes. What mm-hmm. what were you um what were you feeling when you wrote that? I was thinking about how people like consider it to be the end are like so afraid of that moment even I had like have moments where I'm like terrified that it's going to be like painful or something but I think what I actually believe is that you know we go on there's something else not necessarily what everybody thinks it is but I do feel like there's a world that's pressed up against our own where the people that we love and who have loved us are still nearby and i i just find it very comforting to think that um and i think that's part of like the witchcraft occult themes going on there too um that i really connect with on a personal level Mm -hmm. yeah there's a real sense of embrace in this poem too that i think is related to that like um the revelation that you are not alone, mm-hmm. being handed the silver necklace wrapped around your neck, the black tattered cloak, cloak rather around your shoulders. Like it's very, it's an embrace. It's, it's, it's a comfort. Yeah. That's what I was going for. Absolutely. It's interesting to me too, because like it goes back to what we were talking about too when we were talking about the morning photography and like mm-hmm. our cultures. <laughs> bad relationship with death and dying were you were you having that in mind while you were writing it too yeah i think i like i like writing about dark themes um i like gothic horror uh i like macabre things um but i also find comfort in those things in a weird way um Mm -hmm. i think there's something really lovely about the darkness and I've done a lot of shadow work in my practice and I think I once I confronted the darker themes um I really find something lovely and comforting there that I that's what I take away from it um I think that some people might think that's weird but I think (laughs) I think that's what a lot of people who write and read dark poetry or dark um, novels tend to find is that they have this curiosity about the darkness. And when they look into it, they start finding things that are beautiful and meaningful. That's such a perfect sentiment I think to end on even though I kind of want to keep going <laughs> like no, that's probably good <laughs> it's a lovely note to kind of like ruminate on and leave the listeners with um was there anything that you wanted to promote or let the listeners know about before we go bad omens is now available for pre-order um online at amazon barnes noble and bookshop it will be available um on February 17th, 2023. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun.
Yay. All right. And I can't wait to read the book. <laughs> so thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time.